0: Today, I'm joined by art enthusiast, food blogger, and marketing leader, Sarah Croft. Sarah is currently the marketing leader at Innovate Map, which is a digital product agency. And Sarah's actually our first marketing guest uh, on the Startup Executive Podcast. So we get to go down a couple marketing rabbit holes. We talk demand gen versus brand building, we talk community building. And we also get into a little bit of customer marketing. So she's got a really interesting background and a lot of great marketing expertise. So I'm looking forward to sharing this one with you guys. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for coming on.
1: Hi, Grayson. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I know we've talked before and I know a little bit of background on you, but I'm excited to get it on the podcast, share it with the rest of the world and really dive into some more tactical uh, marketing, growing a marketing career type stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. Well, cool. I want to get started in learning a little bit about your background. So mainly, like, what brought you to Indy and what kept you here?
1: Yeah, so we'll get the interesting stuff out of the way at first, because what brought me to Indy was art, which is an odd thing to talk about in marketing. Like, Where did that come from? I studied art history in college. I have a BA in art history. And when I graduated, I had an internship at the previously called Indianapolis Museum of Art. And that's what brought me from Terre Haute, Indiana, which is where I grew up, went to ISU, here to Indianapolis for that art internship. And that was what I thought was going to be the start of an art career for me, until I realized a couple things through that process about working in art and what I liked and maybe what I didn't like through that. And at the same time, because that internship was only two days a week, I got another internship in marketing for a nonprofit in Indianapolis. And at the end of the summer, that was the one that turned into a full-time job. And this was 2009. So still a little bit in a recession. Jobs were hard to find. I had an art history degree and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I took that marketing job and I've been in marketing ever since. And I absolutely love it. So that's what brought me to Indy and a little bit of why I'm still here.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I know the art to marketing path exists, but it's definitely less common um, than a lot of the other traditional paths into marketing. That first marketing job that you're talking about, what exactly were you doing in that job? And was that the moment you realized that marketing could be a career? Or were you still a little like, "Eh, I don't know about this, this marketing idea?
1: Oh, yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea at the time. I did not know what I was doing. I don't know if I would have even called it marketing. At that point, I didn't really know what that was. So, the funny thing is, I did blend art and marketing together in that second internship. I was brought on as an intern for Easter Seals Crossroads, a disability services nonprofit. And they put on a big conference every year at the convention center. And for this conference, it was going to be a milestone year. And they wanted to have an art exhibit at their conference. And so somehow, I think earlier in the summer, I had posted myself as like, hey, open for work, available to hire anybody out there on this website called smallerindiana.com. That's like literally what this website was called. I don't, I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist anymore. And someone from Easter Seals had found me and said, well, I'm actually looking for an intern to build an art exhibit. And you happen to be an art student looking for an internship. Maybe this will work out. And so uh, I did that. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about uh, working with people with disabilities, how to help people. I care a lot about people, and I don't think I knew that at the time. And that was something I was getting out of the internship as well. And I was learning a lot about marketing, and I just loved it. It was fun. I loved the people that I worked with. I enjoyed living in Indianapolis. And I'm sure all of those things like collectively were being stirred in the little pot of Sarah Croft. And it said like, hey, you should maybe go after this as a potential career path. And truthfully, I didn't really have anything else at that time to go do if I wasn't going to continue down the art path that I thought I was continuing on. So uh, I did end up taking that full-time job. And that allowed me to get into social media right at the time in 2009, if you remember, when businesses could just get on social for the first time. So that was like, you didn't have to have a .edu email address to get on Facebook anymore. We've got these pages. What do we do? How do we figure that out? And so I was the youngest person at Easter Seals. And they literally raised my hand for me. And I was like, Sarah, you should probably do something with this for us. And so I created their whole social platform. I created content marketing for them. We did a podcast, believe it or not, like 15 years ago. So it was a lot of fun. And it was kind of like the kickstart of this creativity in marketing that I was realizing existed. And that's probably what I relate to art that I really enjoy. There's a lot of creativity in marketing. And if you learn how to harness that, you can do some really wonderful things.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And then with this idea of pathing, um, let's continue on that. So what happened next? I know you, Indianapolis Museum of Art, Tech TechPoint, uh, just talk a little bit about like that journey, catching everybody up,
1: yeah. yeah. So I stayed at Easter Seals for quite a while. I was there for a total of six years, which is rare, I think, for someone I, even early on in their career to stay somewhere that long. It was a great group of people with a fantastic mission that I could get behind. And I mm-hmm. was really enjoying the work that I was doing. And I was progressing in my career. So I started in social. Then I got into content marketing, building a blog platform, podcasting, all that great stuff. And then eventually, I took on events and fundraising I took on PR and I started to create this kind of holistic view of like a, a, a generalist in marketing in all these different areas. But mm-hmm. I, I had if I had a T-shaped, it was definitely in social and content for sure. And something told me I had this inside feeling that I needed to grow and do more, take on more, learn more. I was hungry for that. At that time. Mm-hmm. And so I did those things. I did leave Easter Seals at one point for a quick stint at a PR firm. Didn't really care for it, that experience too much, but it gave me some extra tools in my toolbox that I needed at that time. Mm-hmm. So I had Easter Seals for about six years. And then a great friend of mine had said to me, Hey, I know of this organization called TechPoint, and they need a marketer. And I really think you should go take this job. And so I talked to Mike Angelier at TechPoint, and that was, uh, let's see, 2016, I think. And I ended up taking that job, accepted that job, and started really getting into tech at that point. So I'd switched careers from nonprofit to tech, although TechPoint is still a nonprofit, and really kind of skyrocketed my career from there.
0: Yeah. Along the way, I believe as well, you began to pick up some freelance writing. Was that before TechPoint, or was that kind of like during the TechPoint era?
1: A little a little bit of both. Okay. So I grew up in Terre Haute, Indiana. If you're not familiar, have you have you ever been? Have you ever driven through it? Maybe like on the way to St. Louis
0: or something. Maybe driven through it. Yeah, I'm not personally familiar with it too much, though.
1: So it's a, it's a small town. It's like 60,000 people. ISU makes up a big bulk of it. Rose Holman is in Terre Haute. A lot of people have heard of Rose Holman, right? So it's small and there's not a lot of job opportunity there. Like If you don't work at ISU or Rose, if you don't work in retail or the hospital, I had an internship at the Swope Art Museum. I worked at the one place I could potentially work in Terre Haute and I knew, hey, this isn't the right path for me. So I had to get out. I had to find other job opportunities elsewhere. Landing in Indy was amazing for me because I got to step back and be like, wow, this feels like a big city compared to Terre Haute. (laughs) This is like, this is something's going on here. And at that time in 2009, 2010, Indy was just like, we were bidding for the Super Bowl, these big giant events that we had here, all of the food scene that just like kind of crept up out of nowhere and became this explosion. Like it was really hard not to eat that up as like a 24, 25 year old in the city, right? So I had a lot of fun, like exploring and enjoying uh, Indianapolis and what it is. And I decided I was going to write about it. And I thought I could start my own blog because I know how to do that now as a marketer, or uh, I could maybe lend my talent somewhere else. And so that's why I started working with Visit Indy. And Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to help other people see just how amazing Indy is from my eyes and got to kind of scratch the itch of writing with Visit Indy. So I did that for a long time. I wrote like their top 25 restaurant guides, if you ever come across some of those. And it was a total blast, total blast. So I love Indianapolis. have a lot of credit that I would give it for my career. For
0: sure. And I'm interested in, so like, obviously, writing is a big part of marketers and just marketing in general. But I'm sure there are quite a few marketers that probably don't do any writing, maybe more on the creative side. I'm interested in, like, how did, like, doing all that writing shape who you are as a marketer today?
1: Yeah. This is where I actually get to lean on what I learned in art history a little bit for marketing because I had to write 30 page research papers throughout my entire three and a half years of college. So I didn't know that I was building that skill at that Mm -hmm. time, but I was. I was in the library doing research with real books at the time, trying to write these papers and annotate them and tell the world about art. So I had already been building up that skill which made content marketing really, really natural for me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I will say to your point, yes, there are creative marketers out there. We have a marketing designer on our team who's a designer by trade, but he is a marketing designer. Mm -hmm. Everybody still has to write. Even if you're not writing long-form blog posts or white papers or those sort of things, there's copy hidden in just about every single stinking thing that we do. Whether it's an email you're writing to someone, you're preparing for a presentation that you're going to give, like you don't really get the excuse to not have some writing talent, in my opinion. Like You've got to have something there or at least want to try if you don't feel like you're really, really great at it. So I would encourage anybody who's maybe listening and isn't thinking about writing as something that they, a skill that they need to pick up on to maybe think twice about that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm a big writer myself, so I'm definitely uh, on board with that. Uh, I'm interested, this question is about like, entire career. So year to date, think everything. What would you say was your biggest failure as a marketing professional and what was the moment that felt like the biggest win? And the felt like is super key because maybe it was like small looking back, but if you thought about how it felt, like the biggest win is is kind of like where the question is going there.
1: Yeah. 15 years in, I still feel like I'm pretty early in this game. And, you know, when I think about that question of biggest failure, it's a tough one for me to answer. And I feel like that's a very egotistical answer. Like I haven't (laughs) had failure. That's not true. That's not what I mean that I haven't had failure. What I'm noticing right now in my career is that as a marketing leader, my biggest failure really is when I'm not giving opportunity to my team Mm
2: -hmm. in the
1: way that I should. And maybe I'm either the loudest person at the table And I'm used to be that I had to be that as an individual contributor. And that's not the role that I need to play anymore. And so I have a fear that sometimes I walk away from a room and maybe we didn't get the best ideas. Maybe Mm. we didn't get the most creative, open-minded, curious conversation to get to the right output because I domineered it, or I came in with my own ideas because I like my ideas too. Mm -hmm. And I want to also be, you know, exhaust them in some way. And that's hard. That's really hard as a creative person who is also a leader. Mm -hmm. Kind of say like, you know, you don't push pixels anymore, maybe as a design practice leader, but you do that through your team, right? That has been a really hard, hard learning lesson. It's also then, frankly, my biggest win is when I get to really pull back from the table and I just say, here's the prompt, here's the problem. We need mm-hmm. to come up with a solution to fix it, right? Or to move in the right direction or grow the company revenue. What are we collectively going to do about that? And how do I make sure that I'm getting everybody's ideas to get to the right outcome? And that's my role now. So when that happens, which is far more often now, those are amazing wins because they're my team's wins.
2: Yeah,
1: And they're not so much my wins, but they're my team's wins. And that is like a whole nother bit of joy, That I didn't know I was going to get to experience in my marketing career.
0: Yeah, I love that. And when would you say you realized, like, or that mindset shifted from your individual? So you're in an individual contributor role, you become more of like a marketing leader, but you still have some of those tendencies to share your ideas, like you were talking about. And this is, it fits really well with the purpose of this podcast because I think a lot of like, New leaders in their roles, like that is still like the mindset that they're in. When would you say that that clicked or what changed in your mind that made you see like that exact concept that you just talked about?
1: Yeah. So for my team listening to this, I kind of apologize in advance because it's a little sooner than I would like to admit, probably. <laughs> They've been through some of those experiences with me here at Innovate Map. You know, one of the things you and I talked about, Grayson, is like, what is like being that first marketer to come in Mm -hmm. at a startup, right? And I've been through that role so many times. You are so used to doing everything. Mm -hmm. You command Mm -hmm. everything. You control everything. You have to. You're constantly balancing your time and figuring that out. You get on this hamster wheel because you have to. Mm-hmm. And then you start bringing in team members, you start pulling in these resources, but you're still on the hamster wheel and you got to figure out how to get off it and know when you do need to be on it and when you don't need to be on that hamster wheel. So I wouldn't say that I learned that well at TechPoint when I was building my team there. I was still trying to figure all of that out. I did finally get to a point here at InnovateMap where I feel like I've got the right staff to do the work that I don't have to do all of the things with them as much anymore. So because of where the business is at, what the business needs of me, all of those things start to make sense, right? Where I'm like, okay, I get to pull back from that point because it has to align both with the business and my own personal interests of how I want to lead, right? So really only until recently when that happened. And it's kind of funny because now I'm like, the team, maybe we keep growing, we keep getting bigger. And I'm kind of sitting here with my (laughs) finger on my chin, like, all right, what do do we do next? What do I do next as a marketing leader? How do I guide you when I'm not involved in the work as much? So we had Max Yoder come in from Lessonly on Monday and speak to the Innovate Map team. And he said, you're always player coach. You're always player coach until I think he said it was maybe, I don't know, 250 people at Lessonly before he was just a coach. Oh, wow. Yeah. So on the one hand, I still have to play. I still write articles. Yeah. I just published one this morning. But coach needs to take more of a front seat, for sure.
0: And I'm interested in this concept because I see it in a couple subsets of business. But marketing is definitely one of the more obvious ones. How do you, as like a marketing leader best serve as a coach when maybe like, I don't know how good your graphic design background and stuff is, but the point I'm trying to get at is maybe you're not an expert in the field that they're doing or specializing in within marketing. So maybe it's like event marketing and maybe you sort of know what to do, but you're not like an expert there. Like, how do you coach then when you yourself are like not an expert in that particular subset of marketing?
1: Sure. And that's a great question because as a leader, you're not going to be an expert everywhere. You mm-hmm. really shouldn't be. So, I mean, I, I was referencing two thousand nine. Like, you know how dated that social media knowledge is now. I mean, it's completely different world what we're doing now than what I was doing then. Mm-hmm. But what's the same is why we're doing this and for what purpose, to have a conversation, to say something, to explain a product, to sell a product, whatever, right? The reason why we're doing it is still the same, to connect with other people and people who we can't normally get to in our day-to-day, right? So what I think about is for marketing leaders out there, emerging leaders, you don't need to and shouldn't know the details of exactly what your team needs to be best at, but you need Mm -hmm. to know what problem are we solving, What's our goal? What are we trying to accomplish? How are we really impacting the business? And that's where you get to break apart from all these silos of marketing is this, an event is that, a social media campaign is this. And you get to be so creative and say, well, what's going to solve this problem? And that's going to be a smattering of a lot of different things. And it might not be that you need to be thinking about, well, I have to, be, I have to learn to be an expert in paid ads to mm-hmm. do that really well for Innovate Map. I actually want you to be an expert in Innovate Map and then figure out what about your skills can you apply to make this happen? So mm-hmm. it, when I root myself in that and when I root my team in that, it doesn't matter so much as like, yeah, okay, this design could be better, but what are we really trying to accomplish here? And does it meet that objective? Uh, and I think that can help people answer that question a little faster.
0: Yeah yeah I love that and uh, another question there, so meeting that I- objective, I feel like every marketer's half of what they're doing is almost like proving that what they're doing is you know meeting that objective. Where have you seen is like the good line as a marketing leader working at a smaller company working with a lot of early stage companies as your clients and stuff like that like how do you balance like that need for attribution and like being able to, to prove to the rest of the executive team that hey this is working or hey this is not working. We need to invest more money in this other thing. How do you kind of handle that as a marketing leader?
1: I'm gonna give answers people probably aren't gonna like to this question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I say that because it doesn't matter as much as you think it does. This this whole attribution conversation, and I don't know if you're seeing the same thing I'm seeing on LinkedIn right now. And I get it. Okay, we're in a recession-oriented environment. You've got people saying, hey, we got to cut sales and marketing, right? So how do I prove my value and show my worth because of that? There is always going to be somewhat of a disconnect between what we do in marketing and how it's going to impact the business. And I'm not saying you shouldn't measure because you should I'm just saying, don't look for the perfect solution. So this is interesting because this is what I think you and I first talked about doing this podcast about, was like, what should you be doing for your company at different stages? Because early on, you should be experimenting. And if you're thinking, okay, I found this exact thing. And if I just do this times 100, this is going to make my business thrive, right? Mm -hmm and you don't have product market fit yet, you can't answer that question. You can't do that. Now you're going to have wins and you should probably do more of those things and you should do less of the things that don't work. But you should constantly be experimenting and thinking about how you infuse that creativity into your brand and into your business and therefore through your marketing. So I don't really like to sit and say it needs to be these exact things, but that's really hard as a leader with a team especially a junior team who wants to say, how do I know when I'm successful? Mm -hmm. How do I know when I've done my job? Right. And you can't just say, cross your fingers and have faith that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But I do believe that marketers should love what they do because if you don't really love what you do and you get too hung up on, I need to figure out how this social media post turned into a lead. You're Mm -hmm. looking at it wrong, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's not the environment that we should be creating and generating as marketers in my opinion yeah. so sorry to everybody who's listening to some of those things saying like hey i want to hear it's these specific data points there are specific data points and that's a hard question to answer unless you actually know the business that you're talking about right and analyzing at that point but it is a little bit of uh, vibes and i'm okay <laughs> with that in certain areas
0: there we go. That's a uh, present at the board meeting <laughs> vibes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no metrics, just vibes, is what I heard someone <laughs> say once, right?
0: There you go. Yeah,
1: I'm going to give you some metrics, but I'm also going to give you a lot of vibes.
0: Cool. Yeah. We'll dive a little bit deeper into that. But the main takeaway I think from your answer there was the need to experiment. I think both from the marketing and sales perspective in early stage startups, which I totally agree with. So we've caught up to pretty much everything except Innovate Map. So I'd love to hear some background on them, how you first got involved, like what the company was like when you started, and just set the scene for some questions down the line. Sure.
1: So Innovate Map is a digital product agency. And we were founded in 2014 by Mike Reynolds, who had 20 years of experience in product management at a company called Aprimo. And he decided to leave Aprimo and start this agency that he thought was needed in the world. And I'd like to say we're quite unique in what we do. We're not a marketing agency, but we have product marketers. We're not a branding agency, but we have brand designers. Uh, Our core is in the product. So we help founders and entrepreneurs and CEOs make sure that their product resonates with a user and resonates with their buyer. And on the user side, that's going to be product management and UX experience that will create a client team of really, really smart individuals to help you make sure you're building the right thing for the right people, that your product is valuable and usable. And then we've got a team of product marketers and brand designers who are going to make sure your product is marketable. And when you combine both of them, We like to believe a better product is marketable, valuable, and usable. So that's kind of why I fit really well here because at working at TechPoint, I was around 90 startups and scale-ups in the state of Indiana on a day-to-day basis, learning about their business models, learning about their pain points, talking directly to CEOs and founders. And I knew a lot about what this ecosystem looked like and what it needed. And so when I joined InnovateMap, uh, I kind of came in feeling like, oh, I know exactly what to do here. I know how to make this company thrive. Um, and also, we're building startups here companies mm-hmm. that come to us, they create jobs, they stay here. So, you see how that whole like I love indie thing comes back in, like as a, a thing throughout my entire career.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: feel a bit of that here at Innovate Map, and I really, really enjoy that. So, I came in as the first full time marketer. And there was someone else who was here who was doing a little bit of marketing and also doing some client work. I think I came in as number 18, the 18th employee here. And now we're at 35, 36, something like that. And my role was to work with Christian Beck, our executive partner of Growth Strategy to identify how we're really growing the business. Mm -hmm. And we've done some cool things here. We launched a community for product practitioners called the Better Product Community. We have a satellite office in New York City now. And part of my role has been to uh, figure out how do we market in New York City how do we get more clients out of there yeah. um, we have a physical office location because of that to help and tell the world that we are here and do those things so that's a lot of my job on a day-to-day basis
0: yeah cool so let's talk about being marketing hire number 1 at a startup so you come in you know the leadership maybe has never had like our actual you know full-time marketing leader how do you handle that? How do you lay out a plan of like, what actually do you need to be doing as an organization and how can marketing help? And then I'm also interested in, uh, did you need to do any convincing or were they sort of like on board with, okay, Sarah, whatever you want, we're going to try.
1: Yeah, luckily, because we do marketing for clients, we do product marketing for clients. Mm -hmm. I haven't really had a hard sell here. Mike Reynolds is a big believer in marketing. And mm-hmm. so he wants us to be good to the town. He wants us to be visible often. And that's where, when you start to look at, you know, you compare that conversation with metrics in a little bit. I might have some different metrics and purposes of marketing beyond generating revenue that are really maybe more important at Innovate Map than they might be at other agencies or companies, let's say, mm-hmm. right? But the first thing you need to do when you come in is not assume that you know as a marketing leader, what is needed and kind of put your toolbox aside for a little bit. It's there. You've got it. You're going to use it. But, you know, I guess an analogy would be, you know, you hire somebody to come into your house and fix something and they don't just bring all the tools in and start doing something. They ask you questions. Well, what's broken? Why did this happen? How did it happen? How do we go about maybe making a change, right? And a first-time marketing leader needs to do the exact same thing. You need to be talking consistently with your CEO and have a really, really good relationship. You need to be talking to your product leader if you have one or a program leader in a nonprofit, let's say. You need to become a subject matter expert in the business itself. And knowing those things, knowing who the actual buyer is, is going to tell you everything about what your marketing plan should be but you have to start there. If you start with your toolbox, you're going to generate, well, this is what marketing could look like, but I don't actually know if this is what we should or shouldn't be doing. Well, let's just go do it and test it and figure out, right? That's not exactly the path that you should take. Sit with Mm -hmm. that leadership team, figure out what it is that the problems are, understand the target market, and then start making some informed decisions on what you need to do next. And it's not going to be hire people immediately at a startup. You are going to do a lot of things. You're going to have to write strategy, communicate it to the team, and execute on it by yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's a lot to balance, right? To figure that yeah. out. Early and career marketers who take that first leadership job are going to be super high on executing. And probably not as strong in strategy and communication. And they'll learn that over mm-hmm. time, right? So you just have to balance all of those things equally. And I find the best way to do that is to jump on in and experience it.
0: Yeah. So knowing just a little bit of background about Innovate Map and uh, you being employee number 18, there are obviously sales demand before bringing in their first marketing hire, which is good, super helpful. But you came into a role where you were solely responsible for creating demand for the business, where a lot of startups, that first marketing hire, they're either hoping that they can do a lot of that demand generation or expecting it. How do you think your approach might have changed versus like what you did at InnovateMap versus what you would have done had it been you, a couple founders, who are essentially doing the selling, and knows just the three or four of you, I'm like talking very early stage.
1: Sure, you know, and you make a good point. We, Mike Reynolds, was founder selling for the first six years of the business. It was a lot of his rolodex, and we were here in Indianapolis. And as a client agency, we worked with clients in person in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And then 2020 COVID hit. So I came on board in August of 2019 and then literally March of 2020. I had a pretty short runway to figure Mm -hmm. out the business and impact the business before this major event happened. But we came out learning that we could service clients remotely Mm -hmm. in a way that we maybe weren't fully confirmed about before COVID. So all of a sudden, Grayson, we went from, hey, we have this Indianapolis and Indiana market to work with. To we could work with pretty much anybody everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. That is with a moment that I believe I was started to be tasked with generating revenue from places where we weren't previously generating revenue from. Mm -hmm. We might have 85% market share in Indianapolis, like. A lot of people know about Innovate Map. My role at the time, that first like six months-ish, was to make sure those people kept knowing about Innovate Map. But we had events, mm-hmm. we had content that I was putting out in front of them on a day-to-day basis, right? That they could see the work that we were doing for our clients. That changed in 2020 because of this new goal that happened at that time, as well as our growth goals. Like we are not a lifestyle business. We hope to be very, very big. Someday. So I have some pretty aggressive goals put in front of me that I'm here to hit. Coming in as like a first-time marketer in a new startup, let's say. Let's say like tomorrow I started working somewhere else. What would I do? I don't know that I would do a lot different, but I would probably be leaning into sales enablement far more than I had to at Innovate Map. Because I had a CEO and a sales team that was so good at that and knew what they needed to do. They really didn't need a lot of marketing enablement. As our Mm -hmm. growth goals continue, as we add more salespeople, that's starting to become a bigger need of my marketing team is to provide more of that sales enablement support and for us that mm-hmm. looks like showcases of our work on our site client stories outcomes before and afters those sort of things that really help describe here's who we are and what we do right yeah. so i'm sure that that would be a lot more important i would also be if we a product company leaning a lot more into the product what is this product who is it for how does it work what are the opportunities here, and probably take on a little bit more of a product marketer type role and a product strategist role in addition to marketing because mm-hmm. you can create more impact and you're going to be able to understand the business a lot more because of that?
0: Yeah, no that's an interesting point around the you know the new market. As being that same problem, and I agree. I wasn't aware that that was the case. That's actually really cool because you are—you've gone from an area where you're capturing demand in Indianapolis, like most people know you, and it's more like you said, keeping them, making sure they continue to know you. But when you're trying to market, uh, you know, Midwest Indiana company in the big city in New York City, it's probably a little bit, a little bit harder, and you take on more of that. Like, how can we get people interested in us in the first place? Versus how can we like capture that demand that's already there. So I I like that. Okay, and then now we get to the question that that sparked the podcast. So this question or post that you made on LinkedIn, and I'll read it for the audience. It's, let's see, (laughs) optimization for scale is problematic in early stage marketing and sales. The strategy that gets you to 1 million is not the strategy that gets you to 5 million ARR. Focus on finding strategies that work and grow them, but don't let the perfect scalable solution get in the way of growth. I'm interested because I feel like every LinkedIn post, some idea sparked it, or maybe you had like a client interaction or you, something like that. Like I am interested, what sparked the idea and then what was going through your mind that led you to post this.
1: You're right. I'm, I do like subtweet my, my company <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the way that I'm learning something and I want to share it with the world, which mm-hmm. is what yeah. happened there. Yeah. So, so here, this kind of comes back to the failure question a little bit too. With our growth goals, I had a pivot strategies at one point, and that was earlier this summer, because something that I had created, the Better Product Community, what, in my opinion, had been given its time, given its runway, and it was not going to keep up with our growth goals here at Innovate Map. Meaning, mm-hmm. it was generating great brand awareness. We were getting wonderful lead conversations through it, but I wasn't sure how to really turn the dial up to get mm-hmm. maybe 10x out of it. Considering it was also a pretty good amount of work to build a community. I don't know if anybody has built a community. You can look at it through rose-colored glasses at first, like, oh, this is great. This, is, this would be just so wonderful for our business to do this. And then you're like, well, you're not just selling to them. You have to create a community where they feel like there's ownership, that they are going towards some greater vision. They're getting value out of this, right? And that's a lot more than just sales and marketing for your company. And sometimes communities can be really, really great because of that. And so we had had the Better Product Community. We launched it in January 2020. And then by June of this year, we decided this is not going to scale in the way that we think it can scale. So what I look at that is that worked for us at the very early stages. When we were experimenting, we were kind of trying to get out into a little bit outside of Indiana, find new people to work with, um, and use a different mechanism to be able to do that. And learning through that process. Holy moly, that's a lot of work. And I don't know that this can possibly scale. And that's okay. That is okay. Even though it was a little painful at the time, it took me a little bit to be like, this is my thing, this is my baby, and I've got to kind of like put it aside right now. But that's okay that that happens. So that's really what was sparking that post that you referenced was, we. I, I knew at that point, I could walk away from that decision and say, it might've got us to where we are right now at this, at this revenue stage, but it's not going to get us to the next revenue stage. And that's okay. And the point isn't to let's figure out how the community maybe can get there. It's okay to kind of cut your losses and move on. It is okay to do that. Right. Um, The other, the other half of that question would be, or that LinkedIn post would be your, your, strategies at 1 million again are gonna be much more related to finding product market fit. You should be talking to customers. you should always be talking to customers, but you're talking to customers to figure out a lot more about what your marketing strategy is at that time, right? Mm-hmm. And the business you are at five million is not the same business you are at 1 million. It's not. you have grown and changed a lot over that time. So your marketing strategy, your sales strategy, your growth and revenue strategy is going to need to change and adapt with the business as well. Mm-hmm. And so if you as a marketer, especially inexperienced early marketing leaders might get too grounded in their own ego and say, well, this is marketing. These are the tools that are in the marketing toolbox. We need to use these. That's what that's mm-hmm. what we're going to do, right? That's what's supposed to work. So that's where I go back to that. It, what's the problem we're solving? Where are we trying to go? How are we going to get there? Um, Adding a market like New York City, well, let me tell you, whatever we're doing in Indy might be very, very different from what we need to do in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to increase our brand awareness and client potential there. So those are things that I want people to think about far more often. And I don't want them to be stuck maybe like I was earlier on in the year, like, this is going to work. It's going to work. It's going to have, It's got to work. I put all this effort into it. It's really, really got to work. Uh, and it worked to a certain extent. And then that's okay to be able to, to move on and leave it behind. And if anything, we should be able to do those things, right? So mm-hmm. that's what was top of mind when I wrote that post.
0: And I'm interested because this post like, obviously grabbed my attention enough to, to spark the podcast episode. And I think uh, the perspective that I was taking was, I believe having some sort of like at least way to track success and failures? Like I'm interested like from the ops perspective, uh it's it's great to be testing all these different things, but if you don't have like a baseline data layer, that's where you don't know like, okay, did this experiment actually work? Did that experience actually work? Like I'm interested in like the need for data. Is that still or like what have you found like the need to actually track or like and we've talked about attribution a little bit. but in terms of like tracking if something is working versus something is not working, is that part of like what your your sub point was? Or do you still do some baseline things that's more of like, okay, here's the specific like metric that we're looking to influence with this particular strategy. We don't know if it actually is going to do it. But here's our baseline. Like, we've generated like 500 downloads with this strategy of our ebook. Uh, What about this strategy? How many downloads or whatever metric that we're looking at? Like, what do you think from a data perspective you should be focusing on when you're doing these like early stage sales, marketing, like testing, experimenting, all that stuff?
1: Yeah. So, if 2020 was the year of a lot of things for Innovate Map, it was definitely the year of data. For sure, like we learned a lot of things through data this year, so i 'm going to put the community aside because I think that 's an anomaly and i 'm not suggesting people look at that right now, but that was a lot of where our metrics were and i 'm going to talk to you a little bit more about where we are right now and where we 're headed. so we know that when we bring a lead in, it could be about two months of a sales cycle potentially, and sometimes sometimes it 's way short sometimes it 's seven days with some entrepreneurs they 're just they 're ready to go right It depends it just depends. I also know now that, okay, so if it takes that two months, then the, imp- the revenue I'm impacting is at least two months ahead from a marketing team, right? So now all of a sudden you can start to think about this from a totally different perspective. You can say, oh, okay, what do I need to be doing now to impact that revenue in two months? What is that going to look mm-hmm. like? Or you can look at your leads and say, oh, okay, yeah, maybe we're off and we need to adjust something because we weren't able to hit that particular goal, right? Because of that two-month timeframe that we could look at. Uh, we know how many leads we need per month to be able to hit our revenue goals and to be able to actually have deals closed, right? You could look at like, if we're in five deals closed and we need X amount of these conversations started, then we need X amount of the leads in the leads inbox to be able to do that, right? And we use Pipedrive as our CRM. So that's why I call it the leads inbox because that's what it is in our sales CRM, CRM tool that we use. So those are some of the beginning data points that we have started to look at here at Innovate Map to say, what can marketing do to impact that? The interesting thing is I'm usually more than two months ahead with my marketing strategy, probably more like six months. And I try not to get any further out than that at a startup because six months is a long time for a startup. A lot can Mm -hmm. change in that amount of time. So I don't like to build an annual plan. I like to just put some big rocks, some big bets down, and hopefully we will get to those different things. So let's take an email campaign. Cause you said like email downloads, if you're book ebook downloads, you get 500 of them or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting to the point where I can say, all right, if we have 500 subscribers to this resource email that we send out, that's going to generate X number of sales conversations based on these engaged subscribers who are opening and opening and opening or choosing to actually reach out to us directly, right? That's something that I can look at now. The challenge is when I look at my time at Innovate Map over the past couple of years, because of our strategies being different, I don't have something in the past to look back to to say, well, here's exactly what that campaign's going to look like for the future. We're kind of on a mm-hmm. new path to figure those things out, which I'm really excited about. So we're getting to that point where we would be able to say this type of campaign should generate these types of results. So okay. we need to go do those types of campaigns, right? That's the hard part as a marketing leader, where you're constantly thinking about short-term impact. What can I do that's going to generate something tomorrow? Cause that's what the business needs as well as like, Hey, I have to, write the copy for the ebook. I have to design the ebook. I have to get it on the website. I've got to build an email campaign to get you to see our potential after you download the ebook. All that takes time for a marketing team mm-hmm. to create that. And so you might look at that and you go, "Well, shit, that's not going to impact the business for like 6 more months." Well, that's okay because that's something that you need that. You need to have leads in June. You're going to mm-hmm. need that, you're right? Now, you just might also have to do other things like sales enablement and working with your sales team more in the meantime on that short-term revenue need. You might be going to networking events or doing trade shows or those sort of things to be able to get in front of other people. And that's where, at some point, when you've been at a company long enough, you'll be able to take a, an outside view, a 30,000-foot view, and go, All right, I see what works. I see what's short-term. I see what's long-term. What's the best mix for my business? 60 40 70 30 what does that look like and you could maybe split, mm-hmm. you know between demand generation and demand capture that's where you really get to sit and figure that out but that's a very difficult question to ask yourself within the first i think year of mm-hmm. being a startup marketer you've got to give it a little bit of time to figure that out and yeah. that's why a lot of people hire experienced marketers because then you know they've been through it before, and if you're a startup, time is everything. So you're able mm-hmm. to expedite that a lot faster. That's hard for that. And like, how do you get into that first marketing job when you don't have that experience just yet? It can be
0: challenging. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then uh, another sub point, of your original post that I want to dive into a little bit more is the focus on finding strategies that work. And so, when you say strategies, are you talking more like tactics? Are you talking like more like more big picture ideas? Um, And how do you, as an early stage company, go about finding those strategies? And do you think there are common themes themes that you can like look back at what's worked for other companies? Or is it more of like a kind of experimental approach?
1: Yeah. Strategies versus tactics is interesting there because the the tactics become strategies depending on how far down you want to go with that funnel when you think about it like that. I think what I really mean is on the activation side, your go-to-market activation plan, you're going to, you need to experiment and you need to pick which tactics of that go-to-market strategy are going to be most successful for you. And it might not be yeah. what you think it is. So. And that's and it's definitely not gonna be whatever got you to one million, being the same tactics of that go-to-market strategy that are gonna get you to five, right? Because your Mm -hmm. business is gonna be completely different. You're taking on new markets, you're taking on new buyer personas probably. You're selling into enterprises or something, right? Your business changes too much. So your marketing strategy has to change along with that. I would suggest that you know you look at what is your product, what is it that you're selling, who is it for? How are you going to get in front of them because you know where those buyers are? That's your strategy. That you need to be paying attention to. And if that's not already written out in front of you and understood, it is your marketing leader's job to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Somebody somebody has to do it. And the CEO has too much else on his plate or her plate and needs to be thinking about the product itself and who what it is for and who it's for. So the marketing leader needs to come in and do that. Once you've identified what that is, then you could say, all right, here's all the cool, crazy, creative marketing things I'm going to be able to do to capture that audience and get out in front of it, right? I find too often that early in career marketers skip that very important foundational step. They just assume or they're too eager and excited to show some particular result, let's say, of a campaign, but they're going to lose out all that time that they're going to spend building something is going to be lost because it's not going to resonate with the right buyer because you didn't do that pre-work to figure that out, right? Or maybe you assumed that you thought you knew what that buyer actually needed and wanted. So, that's something that I think is is really important, and it's worth going back and readjusting those strategies. It's worth questioning them: is this still true? Do is yeah. this is our product still doing what we think it is? Because sometimes your product strategy can change. Hey, we just found this new opportunity; we're going to go over here, right? And then you need to be able to support that. So I think that's what I mean by that statement that you referred to.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. And and kind of diving deeper into those tactics and strategies at Innovate Map, what have you found works best? And are you still constantly testing new things, or have you gotten to the point where, oh, we know this works; we just need to double down. Maybe we we kind of tweak a little bit, like maybe we tweak the copy of this, you know, channel. But we're still like doubling on this channel. Like, what has worked to innovate Map?
1: Sure, it seems kind of silly, but uh, it took us a little bit to understand how much our website worked for us, and that's because as an agency. It's tricky to not commoditize your work. So when you sell it like a product or it has a product wood and like, here are all the things you need. Right. And then someone kind of what we didn't want was someone to self-select and say like, yes, I need one visual identity, please from innovate map. Right. Like that's not what we wanted them to say. And so Mm -hmm. it took a long time to figure out how we convey ourselves and convey our promise to people in a way that gets them to understand how we can actually help them without saying, we can redo your website. Because, yes, we can redo your website, but what we really want to do is evaluate your brand and your product marketing strategy. We want to know why prospects aren't converting on your website, not that you just don't have a great user experience on your website, right? Like, yes, we can do that, but really, what's the foundation that is needed here? Because that's going to make all the difference, right? So we had to learn that ourselves, and it took us a while to show our client work with the world. We were a little too humble. We weren't sure whether or not we wanted to take credit, quote-unquote, for that amazing work that we really did do on behalf of a client. Mm -hmm. And so it's been like onion layers that I've kind of peeled back with this agency over time. So our website now is something where we say, Hey, this works. This has a purpose. We've invested a lot of energy into it and it really tells you who we are and what we do and how we can help you. So I see that as something that is probably not going to change now that we've built that up. And that it is working for us, and it does generate lead opportunities. Those are things that we consider. Content marketing is also extremely important for us because we are we have so much to educate the market about for them to know why and how they should work with us. Just saying to you, we're a digital product agency, not a marketing agency. What the heck is that? What does that mean? There are a few competitors out there of Innovate Map. It's not a now, I wouldn't say we're creating a category necessarily, but there's not a lot of competition in this category just yet. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're sometimes, I hate to say it, five, 10 years ahead in our product knowledge, how we think. Well, if we want people to buy that from us, we need to explain that to them. We need to educate that those are things that they need and how they should be thinking. Content is a really, really wonderful way to be able to do that. It's also two birds with one stone because my expert... Principals on my team and our seniors are writing a lot of that content because they're the ones doing that work for clients. And then they've got thought leadership that they get to go out and share because they're doing those sorts of things. Right. So, content is always going to be, I don't know that that would ever not be a part of our strategy given that education is so important. Right. I might not suggest that if that's not true or what or the most important need that you have at whatever startup you're working at in most cases. It probably is. But again, it all comes back to determining that right balance and that right mix for you.
0: And how have you seen that maybe change over time? I know at the beginning, uh, a lot of, you know, said Rolodex referrals from the network. Have you seen and have you tracked in terms of like new lead source or new like deal source type things? Have you seen that change and evolve over time into a beginning maybe... If you had the data, it would show all like referrals. Whereas now it shows a little bit more of that like content and how did you hear about us type uh, approach? Like, what, how has that changed and evolved over time?
1: We will still always generate a large amount of our revenue from clients. And that's Mm -hmm. because of how our business model is set up. They come in and they don't buy a year's worth of work with us. They come in for a couple of months and they see all these wonderful things we can do and then they eat it up and they ask for more and more and more right? So Mm -hmm. that's always going to be a big part. Client referrals are always going to be a big part of our business. So I don't want to ignore that or take away the amazing work of our client delivery team because that's really, really important. But yes, you are right. Mike's referrals are decreasing because marketing inbound is increasing. Channel partnerships with venture capital firms and accelerators are also a really big part of our strategy our growth strategy because that's another place where we know our buyer is they're getting funding they're also getting advice from that investor to say hey you should be go doing these things so we create good relationships with them that in turn provides value to us that's something we've learned that's a new thing we didn't do that in the first 6 years of the business right so we simply have more channels now that are working that we get to use and say hey these are now wonderful and these are successful it kind of goes back to your question of you know marketing attribution is it first touch? Is it last touch? Is it multi-touch? I'm always going to be a multi-touch gal, of course. Like I'm always going to want to give credit to all of those different things that marketing did to support that sale at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And right now, we're kind of figuring those things out. How do we track that? Is the website last touch, or was it maybe something else that they saw before they got to the website? Well, of course it was. It's Of course, it's an ecosystem of a lot of different things. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go crazy about trying to track all of it, but I am going to try to make sure that whatever that last touch source is, and probably a couple of the touches before that are tracked, that the marketing team gets credit for doing those things, that we're passing those leads over to sales and growing the right channels and strategies appropriately because of that. So I'd say that's a lot of how it's changed and a little bit more of the direction that we're going in
0: now. Yeah. In the attribution, it's not... Even always just about the credit, it's more about like feedback loops as well, and like what is working, what is not working. I'm interested from a feedback loop perspective. Are there any like what you would consider important feedback loops within you know the marketing to sales part of your organization, or marketing to customer part of the organization, or any like operational sync meetings that you do with the other departments to innovate back to make sure that feedback loop is you know staying up to date, staying strong.
1: I love this question. When I first started at Innovate Maps, so to tell you that I'm the first, you know, marketing leader, there's no real marketing function. I'm really just the sales and our product. And our product is our people and the delivery that we provide. Right. So mm-hmm. anytime that we maybe had a new way of doing something with our product, maybe we wanted we're like, you know what, we're gonna do this type of research now. People are asking for it, we're gonna do that that information was pretty much passed just between sales because that's all we had. Right. So Mm -hmm. then we had marketing and I was like, well, Oh, Hey, I'm over here. Like I, I kind of need to know that too. (laughs) I need to know these things. Right. And explaining the value of that. And so I got to come and work with Christian Beck and really identify, Hey, we have a growth function here. We have a flywheel. We have marketing, we have Mm -hmm. sales, we have client success. And in the middle of that is our product. And that knowledge can't just be shared between product and sales. It has to be shared between all of those particular areas. And so now we have what we call a growth leadership team, which is myself and Christian and Sarah Naporkowski, who leads client success. And we Mm -hmm. meet every other week to talk about how are these things working? How are they not working? How should we impact and change our strategies because of that? Right. So that's a really, really important one. The other feedback loop would be with the market and with our customers, So are Mm -hmm. they getting the right value? Are they getting outcomes from our work? What's something that they are seeing or asking for us to do that maybe we don't do now that we should do? And Mm -hmm. marketing and growth can play a role in that. And that's where I think we have added value to a company where we could say, hey, do you know the market wants this and needs this? Is that something that we want to consider with our product? Does that make sense? Right. Mm-hmm. And kind of be able to make those decisions. So that's something that I'm pretty proud of here at Innovate Map is like making that function seem to exist uh, and explaining the value behind it. So I'd say like those are really, really important feedback loops on a tactical level. It's is this content we're writing valuable in sales. Is this helpful? Mm-hmm. Are you using it at all? Has anybody like? <laughs> are they agreeing with it? Or are they disagreeing with this content that we're putting out there? What are people asking for that we're not able to answer? That you need content to help you with that, right? Those are really, sure. really valuable feedback loops. So, uh, the good news is we're in an innovation industry too. Like we're not averse to yeah. feedback. If anything we seek it out pretty often, and it comes from anybody within the company, which is pretty exciting. So feedback yes. happens a lot. But you're right those feedback loops might not exist when you get there and you might have to create them and you might not know that. Mm -hmm. And that's okay to do those
0: things. Yeah. And something that we've talked about, or you've mentioned a couple of times throughout this conversation is the customer. And so I'm interested in, in seeing how customers innovate map fit into your marketing plan. Obviously like being able to generate referrals from customers is great, but also like marketing, to your existing customers like learning from the customers like I'm interested to see like where the customer fits into your marketing team's strategy.
1: You know, it started really simple with uh, let's peel back the curtain of innovate map and let's show them a little bit more of who we are and what we do. We have clients mm-hmm. who when they are done working with us, they are like eager and waiting to work with us again. It's a really wonderful, magical feeling. And I mean, I was a client. So at TechPoint, I went through nine months of working with InnovateMap to rebrand us, build two mm-hmm. websites, and reposition the company. And it was thrilling to go through that experience. <laughs> so I get it. I see why our clients feel that way. Or they leave and they go to another company and they're like, I really, really want to work with InnovateMap again. And so my first thought was, well, how do we harness that? That, mm-hmm. that feeling because obviously they have it like I want them to feel like they're part of the club now Like they're the insiders because they've been through mm-hmm. that experience So we send them an email once a month that just tells them cool shit We're doing because I think they like to know what john moore is up to and if he's not writing on linkedin enough This is a way that I can let you know those things. We have client hospitality events where uh, earlier this year, we flew in clients from all over the U.S. to come to the Indy 500 for a client hospitality experience and thank them and just have fun with them and let them know that we care about them and we care about their business. So client hospitality is always going to be a big part of that. Um, But that fan club that we have, I'm still thinking about other ways to harness that. I know it exists. And I know that there are people just waiting and willing to like refer more to us and build that fan club out but we're also humble so we don't want to really put ourselves on a pedestal there's a balance there mm-hmm. that I'll have to figure out but those are some of the things we do right now as well as you know often talking with clients talking with our buyer personas making sure that we really understand how we can help them in the best way and not assume that is always really really important you're never done talking to customers or clients never ever
0: yeah yeah, no, I love that. Uh switching gears a little bit into more of like the the leadership and less in the tactical. One of the purposes for this podcast is for people who either are early stage or future leaders and kind of learning what it takes to progress to that next level. And you've gone from doing the work to leading teams, and thinking kind of like from an executive viewpoint now, like, what is our company growth plan? And so I'm interested, like, imagine you are back in that individual contributor role wanting to get to those manager levels, what skills, what mindsets should be like what should you be doing as an individual contributor or an early stage leader that's just wanting maybe a, a bigger seat at the table or more yeah more ability or more ability to drive like company strategy like what would you recommend for that early stage leader looking back
1: i'd split it between two different groups the the technical skills and the soft skills needed or the professional skills needed for that because i don't want to gloss over That part on the technical skills, you must be a constant learner. And you have to have like your own internal drive for that. And if you don't, you're not going to go far in this role. But you need to constantly be thinking, what do I not know that I should know? And go get that information and take that on Mm -hmm. and prove to yourself and prove to the leaders that you want to be at that table with them, that you can do the same things that they can do in that way, that you can think that way. In some ways, it's it is time. I hate to say it, you know, you accumulate that over time, but you also have to do that work to be able to accumulate it. So you really need to start. And LinkedIn's a wonderful place. We have all of these influencers and thought leaders that you can learn from. You need to be learning from them far more than you need to be one of them at the early stages. So you can talk the talk, right? But as long as you are really thinking like, who should I be learning from and paying attention to that is extremely important. It's also important to show that, you have an understanding of all of the different areas of marketing. Mm-hmm. And boy, oh boy, is that getting to be a really, really big pie. <laughs> That's a tall order, but you got to yeah. start somewhere. So like if you're a T-shaped marketer, like if you're a, gen- a specialist and let's go back to social media, right? What are you doing along those other areas, along that other T line to be able, you don't need to be a, the T in everything, but you need to have some understanding in business development and lead gen and brand and product market, copywriting, uh, a paid ad strategy, SEO, uh, the list goes on and on and on and on for marketers these these days, right? video, crea motion and animation and creative tools like that. Like you need to know their purpose, you need to know their value. You don't have to do all them and you don't have to be an expert in them. But if you don't know those things, a founder or a CEO is not going to trust you to hire for that when you're building out your team. They're not going to trust that you know maybe what you're talking about that that is a strategy that should actually be employed. So you have to build up that knowledge to be able to do that. So I think those are really, really important things for early career marketers, to, do, as well as network, be connected and known. Mm-hmm. That's going to matter when you're a leader, because at some point you're, you are going to need to hire. So are you going to be able to do that successfully and quickly in a startup? Are you going to be able to like pull in an audience of people who maybe want to work for you? That's something that you might need to consider. And that's a new thing. Mm-hmm. We never had to really think about that before. On the professional skill side, the soft skill side, are you humble? Can you put your ego aside? Can you work with difficult personalities that are often going to be at the table? Can you participate in conflict with love and care and compassion? Right? Those are things I never thought I would be paying attention to. And I spend a (laughs) lot more time on that now than I do on the marketing knowledge side because of where I'm at in my career. Right? But those things are extremely important. And often those things have gotten me really, really far in my career too. By like, I don't want to say like learning to play the game, but like knowing what it is and what the roles are and which kind of levers to pull and and tools to use out of the toolbox at different times for those conversations has become really, really important. So paying attention to that too is essential.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm interested. So, you're you're having these conversations with your team. You know, they want to maybe they want to kind of advance to manager level. Maybe, yeah, I'm just interested when you're having these types of conversations with your team, whether they're bringing it up or whether you're kind of bringing it up in terms of, hey, where, where do you want to be in the next couple of years or something like that? How, like, what are you telling them and what are you looking for? And how are those conversations with your internal team, like the people that like look up to you now, how are they going?
1: You know, in a it's a great question. in a startup, it's hard because you don't you don't always know where you're going. I don't know what your role is going to be on a fifty person marketing team. I can't determine that today, and I really shouldn't determine that for you either. That is what I've also learned through leading other people. My idea of you is maybe not your idea of you. So what do you want from your career? And if you don't know that, I can put a couple of things in front of you, and you can take time to experiment and figure that out. But at some point, you're going to have to make that decision of what it is that you want. I like to lean into what people are interested in, because I think if you're interested in it, you're probably going to do it well. If you don't like social media, you're not going to do that well. Like, I've learned that lesson Mm -hmm. over time. And I have not given that as a task to people knowing that, hey, I don't think you're going to be passionate about this. And that has to come through in our brand voice. And if you can't convey that, mm-hmm. that's not good. Right. So what are you curious about? Where are you most open-minded? Where do you naturally gravitate? What is that for you? And then can we build a career path for you around that? Because wouldn't that be mm-hmm. remarkable? And if it, mm-hmm. at we I just think if you have the skill for it, if it's what the business needs, And this is a decision that we need to make. Like, If all those things work out really, really well, then you'll probably be able to go do that thing that you want to go do, right? And I'm sure that's different than a lot of other companies, but that's how we grow people here. And I subscribe to that methodology. If I ever went somewhere else, I would try to do that somewhere else because I think people really, really thrive in that environment. But it's tough because I can't tell you this is what the next six years looks like. This is what the next two years looks like. I can't say those things. I don't know. But if you're at least passionate about something and interested in it, you're probably going to stick with that for a while. So let's lean into that and let's see what that looks like and let's grow there. We had a gentleman on my team who really wanted to start a podcast. And he Mm -hmm. did. And we launched it. And it was great. And then he decided like, he got so interested in venture capital, he wanted to go down that path. We didn't have that opportunity for him. That's totally fair. And my team was like, well, who's going to do the podcast? And I was like, well, that was Austin's Mm -mm. podcast. You know, like we're not here to say who's just going to do this thing that Austin was doing. That was his Mm. thing. And that's okay. There's probably some new thing that you have that you want to go do that's going to be valuable for the business, with, of course, some exceptions of, hey, we have to have a website. We have, to have, we have to be present in certain places. We're going to have events, right? Like, of course, those things are going to happen. But hopefully there's something that you're interested about that you have the skill for and that the business needs. And when all of those things work out, that's a really tremendous opportunity for growth, for sure.
0: Yeah, no, I love that answer. So switching gears a little bit, we've learned a bunch of, of great stuff, but a couple quick fun questions I have for you. What is the best, the best Mexican restaurant in Indianapolis? I love this
1: question. Okay, so I <laughs> live on the east side of Indy. I live near Irvington. I'm in Emerson Heights. And there's this restaurant on East Washington before you get to Shadeland in between Emerson and Shadeland. And I call it the Circle Mexican Restaurant. I don't actually know its name, which is so funny. And I was gonna look it up because I knew you were gonna ask me that question. <laughs> but it's like in an old, like, old, like uh rotating diner type building, kind of next to this like decrepit strep mall that doesn't really exist anymore, just like out there on the east okay. side. And it's so good. If you don't ever go to the east <laughs> side, there's a taco truck on every freaking corner in every parking lot, mm. and they have the best food. So just head in that direction and you're gonna find something that's really good. But Circle Mexican restaurant on East Washington is my suggestion for that.
0: East Washington circle. Okay. Cool. I don't I even know if now. you can
1: Google it. Yeah, but I'll, I'll yeah, find I'll just, it and I'll send it to you.
0: Okay, cool. I was about to say, it might take me a while looking across all of Washington street on a map. There's a lot. My next question. Favorite genre of art.
1: Yeah, it changes depending on like the season and and who I am okay. right now and what that is. So Right now, yeah. it's uh, Abstract Expressionism, which okay. everybody knows this. They just might not know it by the name if you know Jackson Pollock, right? It just looked like paint splatters on a canvas, and people were um, like, oh, my God, what uh-huh. is this? this is the best thing since sliced bread. And that was in the 50s. Mm-hmm. There's this really good book called Ninth Street Women, and it's about the wives of Jackson Pollock. And William de Kooning, who they were artists themselves first, before they met their artist husbands. And Lee Krasner, Jackson Pollock's wife, is the reason why we pay so much money for art today. When he passed away, she was like, no, 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 these things are extremely valuable. You're going to buy these for millions of dollars. And she changed the course of the value Hmm. and the worth of art for probably the rest of time because of that. So it's a phenomenal book. And because of that, I'm like super interested in that art face right now
0: yeah awesome yeah Abstract expressionism, you said
1: yes hi i'll send cool. you the book it's like a thousand pages okay. it's it took me like a year <laughs> yeah. to read it but it's really really good i'll send it to you
0: yeah okay awesome and the last question one last fun one if you could live on the moon assuming all of your favorite people would join you would you want to
1: so i love new experiences So, I'm kind of like, I mean, yeah, like, it makes me think like.
0: Is the only stipulation.
1: I have to stay on, I don't get to come back. Well, I don't know. That opens up a whole world of experiences. (laughs) Like, what does music sound like on the moon? I don't know. Like, what does it like to eat on the moon? I don't know. (laughs) That would be fun to find out. I could probably do it by myself, too. I'm a loner, really, at heart.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think I'd want to do it maybe even more by myself. Have you seen the movie The Martian?
0: maybe i love the space movies but i always get the names mixed up
1: uh i think it's got matt matt damon in it i can't remember um yeah Yeah. where he's like he gets left behind on mars and he has to like build Mm -hmm. a colony and stuff. i would totally do that you could leave me behind (laughs) on mars and i would be cool so i think the answer is yes yes i would do it and maybe i would do it by myself and take nobody with me
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'll uh i'll let elon musk know that he has uh a test subject if he wants to get a colony set up up there
1: <laughs> definitely i will tweet for him i promise <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay cool. well I, I love that thank you so much for coming on i think this was great and yeah i'm excited to to get this live
1: well thanks grace this is a great conversation and i hope people have learned a few things or got a laugh thanks for having me